about the oven. It's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today we are returning to our miniseries Webhead Summer, covering every Spider-Man movie. We will fully spoil today's film Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series because there currently are none. Emmett, how are you doing? I am doing uh I'm doing well for somebody who went on a 15-hour trip to watch this movie. So, uh yeah, I I yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. How are you doing? I'm doing good too. Thank you for your dedication to this podcast and to the art of cinema. I'm doing especially well because today we are honored to have a special guest. Please welcome back to the podcast, DeAndre Weaver. Hello. (laughs) I'm excited to be here for Webhead Summer. Yeah, actually, I was going to say, DeAndre, you are the first person we have ever had on a Spider-Man episode. Oh my gosh. Wait, what? what? I'm excited. This was the series we did entirely, just the two of us, as Emmett toured last summer. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Look at that. Yeah. yeah. So you are the first Spider-Man guest. And let me ask you, how do you feel about Spider-Man in general? Should he be allowed to roam the streets? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, are we talking Peter? Are we talking Superior Spider? Are we talking Miles? A lot of questions here. A lot of questions. In this movie, we're talking all of them. So. Yeah. I go back and forth. The basis, I love Spider-Man. I am a DC boy at heart, but like mm-hmm. when it comes to Spider-Man, like that is why I'm invested in anything Marvel. I still remember the days of Toby. I was I'm I'm thrilled. I'm excited. Should he roam the streets? Yes. <laughs> yes? I don't I don't know. I just with recent events, I'm just very leery about vigilanteism, but I'm gonna say yes. I try I trust <laughs> I trust Peter Parker. <laughs> You can't see me raise my eyes and trust Peter Parker because this is a podcast, but I trust Peter Parker. <laughs> Emmett, do you trust Peter Parker? I don't know. I don't trust I don't trust Toby. I don't trust anybody mm. associated with Tony Stark any farther than I could throw him because even if they're trustworthy, Tony Stark is a shafty bastard and probably has you bugged. Like he probably has that sp- that spider suit bugged a million different ways. So, I'm saying no to Tom Holland and no to Toby. I'll I'll go strong, strong baby on Andrew Garfield. Strong yes on Miles. Mm. Strong yes on Spider Woman. Strong question mark for Miguel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Tony Stark died for your sins, and that still wasn't enough for you, Emmett. Tony Stark dr- died attempting to attend at- atone for the sins of the writers in the MCU early days, and it didn't work. Wait, this is somewhat on topic. Have you guys seen the Avengers Church production where Tony Stark actually dies for their sins? No. Are you talking about Avengers Endgame 2019? No, it's like a church Easter pageant where they do the crucifixion story. But Tony Stark is Jesus. It's like a real thing. Wait, wow. Mel Gibson's <laughs> Avengers Endgame? I cannot wait to see it. Yeah, I actually haven't seen any Zack Snyder movies since Batman v Superman, so I've missed that one. But... Oh, man. 
Emmett, what would you do if they made a Emma Stone, Spider-Woman, Gwen Stacy live action movie? I would quite simply die. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I figured. (laughs) Okay, so DeAndre, which are your favorites? We don't need a full ranking at this stage of the podcast, but like, what are are these Spider-Man movies you really love of the ones before this? Okay, Spider-Man 3, just because that has like a just... (laughs) purely childhood brain sear on it. Emmett loves Spider-Man 3 as I, well. I don't, I, as You're a in good company here. It's a good movie. I fight anybody on it. It's a good movie. Like It's silly. It's a good time. Yeah. My number one actually surprisingly is Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, Hell yeah. I just think that's one of the Spider-Man movies that like, is it the best Spider-Man movie? No. Is it the best movie? Yeah. Like I just feel like it's funny, I just got finished watching a part of it because every Sunday that will be on TNT or FX, I guarantee you. <laughs> every Sunday. It does not matter what you're doing, it's going to be there. <laughs> and it just, it hits. Like, beat for beat, it's just a strong script. Yeah, I love Homecoming. Actually, speaking of that script, something that I was thinking about recently, I like the guys who wrote the next two Spider-Man movies a lot, the Tom Holland ones. Mm-hmm. But Homecoming is written by Francis Daly and Goldstein. I'm trying to remember their exact names. But it's the guy who did Game Night and Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I like his work. I really love the new Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. Yeah, I like their stuff a lot. And they were, I think they were supposed to direct, it's two of them, they were supposed to direct that Homecoming and then ended up losing it to John Watts but still wrote it. Oh. And I feel like that maybe, I think all the Holland movies are pretty good, but I feel like that one having a little more inventiveness could be because of their writing yeah. touch. And I think a lot more heart, too. Mm. A lot more heart there. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so today we are talking about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which was released June 2nd, 2023, uh, two days ago as we record this, by Sony Pictures. It is the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was released five years ago. I guess actually, and I should ask now, DeAndre, what did you think of Into the Spider-Verse when, when it was released? First of all, I'm just, five years? Good God. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that took five? Oh, oh wow. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just processing that. Um, as every appearance on this podcast, I talk about my janky-ass movie theater that's right next to my house. <laughs> <laughs> I remember not knowing anything about this, just going in completely blind and having a great time. Like, I remember just going on social media, like, everyone needs to see this now, buy a ticket. And I don't know if people did, but it won the Oscar. So that's that's mm-hmm. that's what's important. So that movie had three directors. This movie also has three directors, although they are entirely different, which I thought was interesting. First of all, we've got Joaquim Dos Santos, This is his feature film debut. He's a TV director, directed a whole lot of Justice League Unlimited, Avatar The Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra. Gotcha. That makes sense. I believe he directed the Avatar four-part finale. This is one of his big claims to fame. Yeah, that would be a claim to fame. You mean a a movie-length animation classic? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Damn, dude. Wow. Then we've got Justin K. Thompson. This is his directorial debut. He was the production designer for the first film and for Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs, which is also by Lord and Miller, the producers and writers here. He also is the production designer on all of the Sackboy games 
if you've ever uh, played those over on PlayStation, Sackboy's Big Adventure, uh, Little Big Planets. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I remember that one. Yes. Uh, and the third and final director is Kemp Powers, who back in 2020 had sort of a one-two punch of writing One Night in Miami and writing and co-directing Soul, the Pixar animated movie. Oh, wow. And this is um, his return to the directing chair after that. So uh, those three guys were in charge. This movie was also written by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who we know from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the Lego movie, the Jump Street movies, got kicked off of Solo for making it too funny, infamously. They produced and Lord wrote the first movie, and now they're both in the writer's seat for this one and still producing. Other writer on this, another guy whose work I like, is David Callahan, who wrote Shang-Chi and Mortal Kombat back in 2021. Solid team. The score for this is by Daniel Pemberton, who returns from the first film. Definitely want to talk about the great score in this. An incredible, incredible score and soundtrack. Just awesome. For sure. This movie runs two hours and 20 minutes, making it, get this, the longest American animated movie ever made. And that is true even if you count the Lion King live action remake as an animated movie. What? It is still true. This is crazy to me. The longest American made animated movie ever? Yes. I believe that, yeah. And it was also apparently the largest production for any animated movie ever. It had over a thousand crew members oh working on it. Just wild. Despite that, the budget was only $100 million, which is up from the original's 90. Uh-huh. The original did okay, but kind of, oh, we talked about it on that episode, did not make a huge impression in theaters. Made $384 million total. This movie made $208 million just in the two days since it's been out. So it looks set to clean up in a way that the first one didn't, which I think is really cool. Nice. This one has been acclaimed so far. It has an 87 on Metacritic, which is the same as the original. And as DeAndre mentioned, the original also won Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. Will this one, too? Something to consider. Emmett, what would you say about the story of this movie for anyone who hasn't seen it? Okay, so this movie is very, I think, a very interesting structure here and i kind of like went in knowing it was going to be a a part two of three and so i was like okay how are you going to manage topping the last one Mm -hmm. getting into some new stuff and then leaving it wide open for a third movie to conclude it with i think they checked all the boxes you know and more over this so what we we're going to start off with spider woman in her reality, she is she was responsible for the death of her Peter, who turned into a lizard folk and destroyed their prom. Her father, who is the police captain, caught her at it and thinks that Spider-Woman is responsible for the death of Peter Parker, is on the search for her, and finally realizes that she, in fact, is Spider-Woman. All of this happens in like an incredibly short and intense amount of time. Then she is rescued from this standoff with her father by basically the super group team of, of spider folk led by Spider-Man. What it's Miguel. What's his last name? Miguel O'Hara. Miguel O'Hara, who is scary werewolf Spider-Man. We also get 
cool motorcycle uh, pregnant uh, mother to be Spider Woman. Mm-hmm. We get uh, returning, you know, Peter Parker with baby in tow, new dad Peter um, returning. And then we get the new um, Spider Punk, incredible. And mm-hmm. who else? Who else is what's the what's who else is the new crew? You've got Spider Bite, who is sort of the AI tech oh, girl yes. who yeah, yeah. has a pivotal moment in the film. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course we have Spider Man India. Oh yes, Spider Man India. Yes, yes, incredible. Which has sort of also um, Gwen's world, which we started, and has this kind of watercolor look, which is incredible. And then we go back to sort of the look from the beginning, and then we go to Moonbatten, which is the Spider-Man India's world, which has like this Where's Waldo, like detailed sort of city structure. So basically there are all these different sections with different animation styles throughout. Yes. Yes. So then she's going on a cross multiverse caper with the spider folk to stop these anomalies from happening. Cut to are Miles Morales Spider-Man from the original, living his life, missing Gwen Stacy, missing his pals, meets a villain of the week, thinks it's going to be just an easy job with this dude Spot, who's kind of like a goofy mm-hmm. villain who maybe seems to be like just at the first, at first, you know, trying to commit some minor robberies. Seems like a classic, you know, walk away, dust your hands sort of thing. He keeps claiming to be Spider-Man's nemesis, however, which is a little, you know, like he's a little thrown off by it. He's like, it doesn't, you're not even, you're not even on the register, you know? Then he is literally kicks his own ass and falls into a pocket dimension. And we're like, okay, we're not going to worry about him for a second. Gwen Stacy comes in and is like, it's good to see you, but also I'm on this really cool spider team. And no, sorry, you can't be a part of it. <laughs> also she's secretly there to get a hold of this spot guy who's one of these anomalies who comes through from a separate dimension of course miles ends up following her back um, as she goes into chasing spot we get to Moonbatten, meet spider-man india then get taken back to the team headquarters in like spider spider verse spider place mm. headed up by miguel Miguel's heading up an operation where they're sending all of these anomalies back to their home dimensions and is like chasing people down and is like getting rid of all these villains from across different dimensions. There's a lot of fun Easter eggs there for, I'm sure for people who are more deeply into this than I could ever be in that room full of villains as they've got them all locked up, but just like truly some fun stuff there. And then get this, Plot twist, there are these things called canon moments. Now, this is something that I thought was truly, it was like truly up my alley. There's this (laughs) stuff where it's like all of the different multiverses of Spider-Mans have these moments that happen to all of them. And we kind of have seen this already played with in the Tom Holland version of this, where it's like they all have an Uncle Ben moment. Mm -hmm. You know, they all have like that great loss or they all, you know, there are certain things that always happen. And turns out that one of those things is having a police captain near to them die in this like very specific way, trying to save a a child from a falling building. The reason we figured this out is because miles stops this from happening for Spider-Man India's, the, the captain, the police captain in his life. Well, both Gwen Stacy and Miles Morales immediately realize, oh, crap. 
we are come from realities where our dad is that police captain. Like our respective dads are both like that guy in our in our world. Miles is like, I have to go back. Miguel is like, you cannot because if you do, it will shatter the reality. Also, newsflash, Buck, you're an anomaly yourself because the spider from your world isn't even from your world. It was from a different dimension already. So you're already got like this weird, like cross-dimensional DNA thing going on. So Miles is like, okay, this is crazy. Uh, yes, this is crazy fight scene or chase scene with all the different spider folk who are chase, trying to chase him down. He finally outwits them. Is going to send himself back to his own dimension through their like send it home machine. It analyzes him. And of course it analyzes him for the dimension that his spider comes from, not for the dimension that he comes from. He is sent back to Earth 42, which is an Earth that, because that spider went through, did not create a Spider-Man. And the Miles Morales in this world became the Prowler. His father died and he followed in his uncle's footsteps instead of being more influenced by his dad and appears to be in some sort of criminal underworld type thing. The very end of this movie... We've got Miles face-to-face with himself as the Prowler. And we have Spider-Woman with the whole crew having defied Miguel Spider-Man, having brought back the crew of everybody that you loved from the last movie, plus everybody that you loved from this movie. And then, as this happens, also, the exact same time, Spot, the evil guy, comes back with, I mean, huge powers at this point and looks like he's going to wreak hell on Miles' family. I would say just an incredible job at, like, dividing, the, at, like, splitting the party and, like, bringing everybody together and then tearing them back apart for that trilogy feeling, that second movie in the trilogy feeling. I mean, this, I think this movie rips in that respect especially. How did other people in your theater react when this ended with a to-be-continued? Because my screen was ready to riot, I believe. No, no way. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a testament to how people were into it. But yeah, everyone was not expecting this to be a part two of three, like I think we knew going in. I have a question for you guys. In your theaters, because for mine, it was surprisingly mostly adults. And I think that's really cool that, like, we have mm. more adults' interest in the animation. Yeah. I, it was really cool to see this, like, room full of, like, grown adults just be so invested in this. Like, people were groaning. People were mad. Like, how was, like, was it more kids or was it more, like, adults in y'all's theaters? It seemed like a fairly split audience of, like, families and then teens and younger people, I guess, would be would be my guess. But their reaction to it, I don't really feel like I saw anybody be upset by it, but the my friend who I went with was like, oh, what, what <laughs> wait, <laughs> what's, like, was surprised and did not realize that it wasn't all going to get wrapped up in, in that one, which I think is just, like, such a crazy strong move, but yeah, I can see how people would be ups- upset by it. Um, yeah, I would say in mine, there were definitely kids there. Like, mm-hmm. I sat next to a big family. Uh-huh. There were other kids too, but there were a lot of like adults by themselves there to watch it too. I mean, yeah, you know, including me and Laura. So it was definitely cool. Yeah, because I feel like this one kind of feels a little bit more like grown up in a sense, mm. like really darker, but in a good way, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's got a good tone. I always think about in the first movie the like slapstick scene in the middle where Miles is dragging Peter B. Parker's like unconscious body through the city <laughs> and he's like hanging from the subway and hitting every gravestone and stuff. And that is totally like, you know, like slapstick silent movie, like real like kids movie stuff. And there's nothing like that in this movie. No. Like there this is a much less funny movie than the first one, even though there are still gags. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the Miguel stuff, I was like, I think he's going to murder him. Like, I think this is going to be, I think we're going to see a crime committed live on screen, guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys felt this way. I legit thought that it was going to end with Miguel killing Miles' dad oh. to ensure that that happened, basically. To ensure that that Canada event happened. I feel like something like that may still happen. I think they've left all all players are on the playing field, you know. Has anyone else here seen Fast X that were released just a couple weeks ago? I try to stay away from heavy fiction, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you some groundness in my movie. Groundness. <laughs> of course. I just, Fast X basically ends the same way. I mean, it's not a movie up to this quality at all, but Fast X literally ends with, like, Two characters in a dam, and a bad guy blows up the dam, and then it cuts to credits, and it's like to be continued. So it is kind of a moment um, for for two parters and cliffhangers. I think the Mission Impossible coming out coming out next month is also a part one. So I'm guessing a similar thing we've got from that. But I feel like this one earned a part one because, like, we all remember the days of like Hunger Games and like Harry Potter, where it's like, all right, you're splitting this in two to make more money. But I actually feel like, oh, no, you guys probably had like a four hour movie when you wrote this. But you like, for reasons, had to cut this in half, you know, like it feels like a creative choice rather than like a money choice. If we were talking about how the tone of this is a little heavier, a little darker, but also I feel like it's it's more real, too. You know, it's it. I mean, this brought me to, you know, it brought me to tearing up a couple of times in the scenes between Gwen and her dad and between Miles and his mom. I mean, it's really, yeah. I mean, I think those they they approach those like supercharged emotional sin- situations in a really stripped down way. That is such a contrast from the you know the epic action of other parts of of the movie. And that makes sense considering um, how one of the directors is from Justice League Unlimited and Avatar. Like as soon as I heard that, I'm like, that makes perfect sense because I. One, I see so much Batman Beyond in this, just like in the vibes mm-hmm. and just the style of storytelling. Like, I also like, I really enjoyed the really complex thing they're setting up with Miles and his dad, like the two different roads you can take, just like mm-hmm. in adolescence, but then also like as a black man and how there's like this fear of like, you know, you going down the wrong path and like what is really the wrong path when we get into it. That's a more complicated discussion for another podcast, but I think it kind of ties with the great expectations motif they set up in the first movie. Right? Mm. I don't like in the first movie, I'm like, I don't know if they really executed that as well as I thought they did. But in this one, I'm like, this is kind of Dickensian of like this idea of like this young man, lots of opportunity, older mentors coming in, stuff mm. getting really messy, the kind of like pining out, after the love interest and that getting messy, like I do like this position they put him in where it's kind of like you're two paths to go. And then Miles like, no, literally I get the right my own story because I don't exist in the multiverse, which I thought was cool. But 
Mm. Yeah, it's interesting what they're setting up. Like, I thought that was really nuanced. And, like, I, I remember I saw this thing where there's like a conservative's like, why does the Spider Man have a BLM pin on his backpack? I'm like, okay, get over yourself, bro. But, like, I, <laughs> I love how this is like something that's really nuanced in like racial topics and like, I think in like black male coming of age without it being like a very special episode. Mm, yeah. Personally, I'm glad that they had the kind of like, let's talk about the police thing with Gwen's dad and not Miles and his dad. Mm. Yeah. I'm really glad they did yeah. that with them and not Miles. Cause I'm like, it just, yeah. I think it would have put a burden on the story that it didn't need. I thought it was still just ever so slightly clunky that she has to be like, that she has to literally say, dad, you're a good cop. Like, (laughs) I know that you are wearing the badge for the right reasons or whatever. Like, I don't know. That took me out a little bit. But I do totally agree that it is very nuanced and, like, talking about real stuff in this movie. Yeah. She also has a um, protect trans kids flag prominently displayed over her door in all the scenes in her bedroom, which you can see. I love that. Which I thought was cool. Before we get even deeper, let me ask, on the record, flop or bop? To this movie across the Spider Verse, DeAndre, would you say flop or bop? Platinum, certified bop, <laughs> Grammy Award winning. Hell yeah! I meant flop or bop. Oh, it's a bop! It's a bop! Oh Hell yeah, Wade, flop or bop? Bob for me too. I I loved this movie. I think it's one of the best movies we've covered on this podcast. One of the best movies I've seen. Much like one of the other best movies we've covered on this podcast, Little Women, I think it is a movie that would be a lot if you are not into this sort of thing, because it is giving you like the undiluted, pure version of this thing in many ways. Um, And so it is like two hours and 20 minutes of pushing the boundaries of animation and like telling a deep story with characters we know and also like all this meta stuff about storytelling and comics and stuff like that and and it is a lot but i think it pulls it off really well yeah and still being a kick-ass action movie and as good or better than most superhero movies in in just like it's pure like superhero plot i mean that chase scene at the end like Literally any other movie that would be less than half of the time it takes. It's like a 20 minute chase scene. Uh, and it's incredible. So good. T Rex, Spider Man. Yeah. I've always been of the opinion that we should have more animated superhero stuff. Like, mm. as someone who grew yeah. up on Justice League, Batman the Animated Series, I've always said, like, the DCEU should have just said, hey, we're going to go animated while you guys do live action. And that's how we counter that. No one listened to my letters, but um, here we are. (laughs) But this kind of shows like how much you really can do with animation that we're not there with CG or frankly, because of the mechanism of capitalism in a Disney system, we can't do this kind of rich storytelling with say the typical Marvel movie. Like if this was a live action miles, I don't know if we get that complex conversation about law enforcement mm. or the layers and layers or the cultural specificity, the cultural specificity of miles, like actually speaking like real Spanish, oh, not yeah. like here's one word in Spanish and back to English, like full dialogue in Spanish. Like that's, that's, that's what we're talking about. Like actual, like real representation. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think the movie also sh- like pushes animation at the same time too. Obviously, the first one did, and we've seen since then with like Puss in Boots and um, the Bad Guys, Mitchell's versus Machines. Like other studios are following trends that this set, and then this one also like zags into entirely other different things. I mean, we're going to have to talk about Spider-Punk for a, a good bit, but the fact that he is like 2D animated like uh like a zine from the 90s basically amongst these other like 3D animated characters and there are live action characters in this too. I mean, your point DeAndre also makes me think like Thor: Love and Thunder is an animated movie. Yeah. Ant-Man Quantumania is an animated movie. Like, the only things that are live-action in those are the characters' faces, and they've animated the backgrounds, they've animated the suits they're wearing, you know, like... Yeah. And there's so much more opportunity when you're not bound by realism, I feel like. Because so much of this, this one particular, as opposed to the first one, gets, like, so abstract. All of the stuff with the spot at the end, where it's just sort of, like, black and white shapes to, like, show his power growing. Yeah, that's stuff that you, I'm not going to say you couldn't do, but maybe a lot of people wouldn't be bold enough to do in a live-action movie. Yeah. I think the other thing, too, is that, like, you have such a better continuity. Because, you know, we always talk about these things going on for years and years, like, Kevin Conroy was Batman for what, like 20, 23 years? Like a right. long time. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or he can age at a, at a rate that is more appropriate to the amount of time that's passing in story time rather than real, real world time. Yeah. Which is cool. Speaking of, let's, let's head into the continuity corner for a minute because that point brings something to mind. This movie, I think, takes place. A little bit over a year after the first one, right? Is that what they say? Yeah. Even though I feel like Mayday looks more than like three months old, Peter B. Parker's baby, but (laughs) make of that what you will. Is the implication that the Spider Society started after the first movie and all of this is like really fresh? Because they t- there's a lot of talk about the super collider that explodes at the end of the first movie in this one. And I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be like the linchpin for all of this stuff or if it was going on before. We just didn't know about it. I believe what it, Miguel says is that he started it after he destroyed that other world. And that may have been a long time ago. Hmm. And that he did that he did it to basically make sure that nothing like that ever happened. But then the collider created a bunch of problems for him, maybe. Oh, okay, that would make more sense. I feel yeah. Like. Or could they have happened in tandem? Of like maybe he messed up the world at the same time the collider exploded, and then it's kind of a question who broke it if they happened at the same time. Uh, true. Yeah, because he didn't look, like, a lot older than the guy in the flashback. He looked a little older and meaner, but not, like, significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would play into it having been within the last year. But that would be a huge thing to have pulled together. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's big Lord Azrael energy right there. That whole flashback and backstory for Miguel... Um, reminded me a lot, Emmett, of another Spider movie we covered on this podcast, Enemy. This whole idea of him having, like, replaced his double. Um, oh, whoa. Like, replaced Miguel in Miguel's 
family unit, this other Miguel, mm-hmm. and like not being able to keep that up. And the end kind of took me to that place too when Miles is face to face with the other Miles, which I thought was the weird. other Miles. Yeah, I this goes into fan theory territory. I don't think this is Miguel O'Hara. Oh, okay. I said this when um, No Way Home came out that it's not Doctor Strange, it's Morbius, and I was made to look like a fool because of that. But <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted that to be true. It would have been a better idea. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, Ty Rab, and he was he's reading Spider Geddon right now, which is like very similar to the plot that's going on. And apparently the main villain is like this energy vampire that can just touch spider people and just make them disappear from continuity. What? I'm just saying, <laughs> this is the kind of movie that flips stuff. And I'm just like, and as someone who's like, I'm like, this is not really Miguel O'Hara in a lot of the things that are happening. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, if you're good, if it's based on Spider-Geddon and this is a movie that likes to flip stuff, maybe this is kind of like a secret villain thing. I don't know. How hard is it for someone to put on a spider suit and get time travel powers and say, I'm also a Spider-Man? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Hmm. Damn. Ooh, ooh, I think I, I'm, I'm sold on it. I'll start getting out the red string. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we see him just for... He's the post credit scene of the original, right, Miguel? And he does seem darker, a good bit uh, more intense here than he did there even with everything going on. So, yeah, that's interesting. I thought that we were going to see maybe Madam Web in this, and I'm kind of sad that we didn't. Well, I think that's going to be some sort of part of their whole Sony Venom-verse, and they might be saving elements of that for this. But let's talk briefly in the continuity core about some of the stuff we do see, right? So the spot goes to... The live-action Venomverse, where he sees, like, the shop clerk lady who's a background character in those movies. Then, in the villain scene, and I was so excited by this, we see Donald Glover from Spider-Man Homecoming as Uncle Aaron, like, fully transformed into the Prowler and, like, captured into in this universe. And we also, later, I just want to throw this out, because clearly there's some sort of synergy... Well, I guess when, when they're talking about the canon events, we also see footage from the Toby movies, the Andrew movies, existing footage. And then when Miguel explains the multiverse, it is illustrated in this sort of illuminated tree fashion, which is the same exact way it's represented in Loki. Oh, wow. The MCU yeah. show, when they explain the multiverse. It's the same tree, basically, sort of indicating that... The MCU is one universe and all of these connected universes, which this movie is kind of bringing together. That's so cool. And I also heard them make reference to Doctor Strange and the nerd in such and such a world, which is, of course, Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Did you guys think we were going to get Tom Holland in this movie or the next movie? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> I hope not. At, for previously mentioned anti Tony Stark reasons. <laughs> yeah, I just think for business reasons, I just think now I, I could be totally off the mark here, but did we get a voice cameo from Toby? I mean, he's in the the flashback moment we see. I don't know if there's any other 
yeah. dialogue from him. I don't know. Yeah, I was like, I was wondering, I'm like, maybe we'll get a voice cameo from the guys. I think they're still trying to figure out the line between MCU and their stuff. So I didn't think we were going to get Tom. I don't, I don't think they've ironed that out completely yet. I'd like to see him in the next one, but, you know, I'm not upset if it isn't. In fact, I think, like, what we saw in this one is so cool in, like, this movie's approach to taking this stuff seriously. Because, like, it would be kind of be the easy thing to do the No Way Home thing of bringing in Toby or Andrew or what gets the biggest cheer. But, like, that they are playing off Donald Glover, this thing that's been in the back of our heads since Homecoming and has never been resolved, and then he shows up in this. Like, that's such a cool way of, like, taking it seriously and giving you someone you will cheer for that's not the, you know, it's not Darth Vader, right? It's it's a little deeper. And then, like, Donald Glover being the catalyst for Miles as a character, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I, I think that's... I, that must be cool for him to, like, see all of this sprout over 10 years and then him to be in the movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I th- that's most of the continuity. Let's switch over to the villain report. So I guess the main villain of this is The Spot, played, interestingly, by Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> How did we feel about <laughs> Spot in this movie? I love an incel villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this whole movie does remind me a little bit of Incredibles. Like, it's giving, like, Sinestro. I also love that it's the bagel guy. Like, I love the guy that just became a meme. It's not the villain in the second movie. <laughs> I liked it. I was a fan. Yeah, I was a fan, too, especially with the the motivation of being like, I will make you notice me as your nemesis. He's so just, like, oblivious to it. He's like... Mm-hmm. You know, I I thought that was really cool. And it, because I do think it's it's a fun thing, too, because often at the beginning of these movies, you do have that one, like, early villain who's, like, just gets completely yeah. dusted, you know? And it's it's just, like, a chance for the, the hero to be like, yeah, I leveled up since the last movie, right? Like, here I am. And here's this just, like, completely meaningless villain that we're going to have in the first 25 minutes and you're not ever going to see again. I think it's really clever to kind of play that, play off that and and bring him back around as a truly terrifying villain by the end. Spot, I liked. I As I said, I like his power upgrade um, and visually how he's represented. I thought it was just like an interesting layer, an example of how this movie goes deep. Like his story about how he just can't get a job. So like he has mm. to, he's trying to do a victimless crime of robbing an ATM because... Like, if you looked like the spot, how would you get a job? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, it just is a fascinating thing. Although I feel like he should be, like, paid out by Acme Corp or whatever the company Mm. is that he worked at where he got transformed into the spot. Like, for sure. But he feels like such a Batman villain to me. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, in the sense of, like, I created you because of Invitation of Power, but also just feeling like a theater kid that got some serum. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's a it's a cool kind of divergence from, I think, a lot of the typical Marvel villains. Well, he's also funny, which is like Batman villains, right? Because yeah. Batman isn't funny and his villains are. Spider-Man is funny and his villains aren't. But Spot is funny until he's not in this movie, basically, <laughs> which is an interesting twist. Um, and I guess we've talked about him already, but what about Spider-Man 2099? I don't know if he counts on the villain report. 
Like, how much of a bad guy do we think that he really is? To be determined. To be determined. Well, I mean, I feel like we heard DeAndre's theory about how he's maybe secretly... You think it's Morbius in disguise? Not Michael Morbius, but I would love that. It's I think his name's Morlin. He looks like oh whoa yeah something like that. It's it's an M something yeah. I think I think it's really fun that this guy is a villain, and I think it's it's going straight at that thing that is always danced around in the MCU of like, does a superhero is a superhero team ethical inherently? Like is a superhero ethical <laughs> oh. inherently, but especially is a te- like an organized team with like major support and like global reach. Is that ethical? Pretty clearly it's not in in some sense, you know, especially if they're going to like make sure that people's parents don't get saved. <laughs> yeah. If their job is making sure people die. Making sure that certain people die because it's convenient for the plot. That's truly wild. That really reminds me of this uh, this season of Dimension 20 that I was listening to that's all about uh, fairy tales. But that in that, too, there are characters who are like meta-aware of fairy tales as a construct, living within a fairy tale world, and are kind of like trying to affect the canon of that world in a similar way. I think that's a really cool idea. I was stoked to see someone else play with it in a kind of different way. And to add to that, like on the morality scale, it's like the whole fate of the universe rests on Spider-Man in each of these universes. (laughs) Yeah. Like the fabric of reality is the Spider-Boy. Like, I I don't know. It's just, it's his movie. I get it. But like, I don't know. It, It raises some ethical questions. It's like, so this one guy has to basically suffer so that everyone else can be safe. I don't I don't know what the ethics of that is, you know? Like Yeah, and at the end where we get into kind of like a back to the future part 2 dystopia and it's like because there is no Spider-Man in this version of New York City, it is like complete dystopia that is on fire 24/7 because Spider-Man does not exist. Like it is an interesting an interesting Yeah, it's 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 Dino Hatton. The second, it kind of is, yeah. It's it's Dino Hatton the second you don't have Spider Man there. Yeah, it is the new brutalism over there. Yeah, I would say that was anyone else like that twist genuinely shocked me. Like I did not see that coming at all. Anyone else see that coming? I didn't. <laughs> okay, I did not see it coming, but in some way I called it because in the shot where he lands against like the fire escape and it's raining. My instant reaction was, that doesn't look like his art style. Like, I just immediately was, oh, that's not the Miles art style we know. And then as it kept going, I was like, oh, I guess it is. I'm just that one shot. And, like, it totally flipped my mind until the twist happened, which which did get me, for sure. So here's the thing. When they said that bit about how one spider was from a different universe, and then he gets back in the Wayback Machine or whatever and is going to kick himself back... I was like, oh, he's either going to get torn up by it, like he's going to get split in half, or he's going to get stripped of his powers, or like some crazy thing is going to happen. And then when it seemed to go okay, I was like, wait, what is this? And then, just like you said, the fact that there's like a pink background in all of the Gwen shots when she was supposed to be in the same world, and his was like all green and blue. Mm. It's like, what? Yeah, I loved it. it. It was so exciting to me. Just like as everyone is racing to sort of try and save Jefferson 
and then you like realize he's not even in the same universe and there's like nothing that he can do. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. In fact, were I to offer really a hypothetical criticism of the ending of this movie, it would just be that it seems to me like what we are setting up is the end of an act two rather Mm -hmm. than a big act three, right? It feels to me like this ends maybe 10 to 20 minutes before the end of a second movie. And it gives you enough to know that things are going to be all right. Like you see the crew assembled, you see him like lighting up his hands to get, to get out of the chains. But like, it feels to me like we're leading up to sort of someone dying and things being bad for like 20 to 30 minutes. And then there's an act break and then we'll get into whatever the real third movie is, you know? Yeah. But it scares me. You know, I have faith in this team, but like, it's, I don't know, it scares me because I like my initial instinct is like, okay, act movie three, it's gonna be this whole like race against time to save Miles' dad. I'm like, well, how long can we really stretch that out? You know, like, I don't know. I think, I think it'll be interesting. Was it next year is when we're getting it? Uh, it's currently dated for March 2024, March of next year. I think we might be lucky if we get it next year. I don't know if that March date is going to stick. But, I mean, just to briefly recap the behind the scenes, this movie was originally announced just as one movie. Mm. And then they said that they had cut it into two films. So it was not an idea, basically. They were working on this as one gigantic movie. And then at a certain point, they were like, we have too much movie. It's going to be a part one and a part two. Literally, it was called Across the Spider-Verse Part One. And then basically as it got pushed back and back, they changed it to Across the Spider-Verse and Beyond the Spider-Verse, which is the one for next year. So what do we think the Beyond is? I don't know, but I certainly think the stakes with the spot are going to be bigger than just saving Miles' dad or just saving like a universe, you know. It does feel like we're setting up big, big stuff. Yeah, like yeah. he's he's going to absorb the whole universe, multiverse or something. Or that he's going to alter canon in such a way that like reality itself begins to dissolve or something crazy like that. Or they're going to pop up into the real world and kill Stan Lee and then the entire thing is going to be destroyed. Bring him back and kill him? Bring wow. him back and then kill him in one fell swoop. Wow. <laughs> To play God of Creation and Death, that's intense. That's, <laughs> that's just, wow. I've seen a lot of people talking about like it being some larger live action elements in the third one, which I don't know. I love the animation, so I would not like I don't feel like it needs it. I don't think it it's fun for the little like cameo stuff, but I feel like it, it like if there was much more of it, I feel like it would start to detract. Yeah. How would you guys feel? This was a rumor at one point that I just cannot wrap my head around. But if in one of the live action MCU movies, this animated Miles and Gwen popped up. I will bet you about five sticks of gum that there has definitely been a conversation at Marvel of like, hey, in Secret Wars, Mm -hmm. could we just have Miles swing through? Or just have them in the background. I think it's been a conversation. Yeah. And I think it's totally possible. I think it could be like, you know how in Endgame, how there was like the A-Force moment of them all posing. 
I think it could totally be a thing of like, and my Spider-Man, and then it's just like all the Spider-Man and then Gwen and Miles are just animated there. Haley Steinfeld can't play both parts, so they're just trying to figure some stuff out. <laughs> she doesn't talk. Who else does she play in, in the MCU? Haley Steinfeld's also um, Hawkeye. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. She is, she? She's oh, two people. I forgot. And then Oscar, mm. I like a lot of them are double booked. Plus, Oscar Isaac is also the blue guy from from X Men. So he's really three now that the X Men are part of the MCU. <laughs> true, 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 yeah. true. Gosh, she's gonna be a busy boy in Secret Wars. Busy, busy guy. Okay, speaking of characters, let's do our MVP. This might be particularly tough for this movie. Other than the protagonist, so I am actually going to take away both Miles and Gwen, because I think since this movie starts with Gwen, they are sort of dual protagonists. And I think they both have complete arcs in terms of like having the talk with their parents at the end of the movie. So I'm taking both of them off. But other than those, anyone is on the table. DeAndre, who is your MVP? I would say Miles' mom. Hmm. I don't think in the first movie, I was really missing her. I was like, uh, I want more of her. I want to hear her perspective of stuff. And I really like a lot of her moments. Like, it was her whole, like, I don't know, just, like, it, it hit me in a lot of, like, the conversations my family had with me when I went off to college of, like, mm-hmm. you know, this is a different world that you grew up in. It's like, it's just, she has some beautiful speeches in there. Mm-hmm. And I like a lot of um, what they're doing with that character. Also, like, I don't know. I, I think that she really did come through a lot in the plot. You know, she's trying to help her son find some stuff. And I think, especially based on the comics, she's going to be a bigger deal in the third one. Oh, interesting. Because in the comics, Miles' mom is the one that dies, not his dad. So I'm interested to see how, mm. if we change that, if we keep that the same, how that's going to work. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That is Luna Lauren Velez playing Rio Morales. Um, Yeah, I thought she was great, too. And I thought, as you were saying, even in the first movie, too, like the Puerto Rican side of Miles' background is missing a little bit, too. Yeah. And this movie has, like, such more an emphasis on that relationship and that culture. I also think it's really women-focused in the way the first one wasn't, with giving Gwen so much more to do and... Rio and even like Jessica Drew and stuff. Emmett, MVP? Okay, well, you know who it's gotta be. None other than Spider Punk himself. (laughs) Finally, finally, we get to talk about it. (laughs) Never has it been more clear to me when a character pops on the screen. I was like, because at first I was like, oh, who's this Hobie character who's coming in here? Who's coming in here and trying to get. Trying to get between Miles and Gwen. I'm like, no, 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 no. But then we meet him. Spider-Punk. <laughs> iconic. Um, Spider-Person of all time. Truly wonderful. A British punk rocker. Anti-establishment. Anti-superhero. Anti-team. And yet working for a police state. <laughs> yeah, and yet working for a police state, you know. You gotta do what you gotta do. You, you know, you can psychologically oppose uh, an oppressive system, and then you still also have to make rent. <laughs> so. 
Like he's definitely the guy that like works at Chick Fil A, but actively just telling people like, I don't know. I mean, just maybe gay rights. I don't know. Just, <laughs> like, he's definitely, like he's the guy that you meet on your like nine to five that is definitely not with the bull. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not yes. drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah, and he just looks incredible. I mean, he really threatens to like run away with the movie every time that he's on screen. I read something that it took. Basically, that he was the hardest character, and it took like three years for each of his shots to animate them. Which is also why, if you pay attention, I I noticed that um, in a lot of scenes that he is in, he is in the shot less frequently than the other characters, and I think <laughs> that's because it's really hard to do the incredible stuff they're doing. Do we think that him and Gwen were really a thing, or is that just sort of a flirtation joke? I think it's projection. This is like a classic trope of like movie two. There's because they did this in what Far From Home. Then they do the same exact thing. It's like a classic teen mm-hmm. movie trope of like there's a hot guy. I feel insecure. I'm going to project onto him. I also do like the fan theory that maybe Hobie is a variant of Miles because he also knows about mm-hmm. the electric powers. True. 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 I don't know. I, I think it's projection. I think they're just friends. You know, maybe. He does say um, that Gwen left her sweater at his place. Which... Oh, mm. and she is wearing his shoes. I I don't know. I think that I don't know, dude. Oh, no. I don't know, dude. Oh, I... four miles. But at the end of the movie, oh, just no. to tie it in, she does take Miles' sweater that when she goes mean. out to talk to his family and leaves. So there is sort of a behind-the-scenes sweater through line in this movie. <laughs> it really is. Gosh, he's so young. Oh, his heart was broken when he heard that. That's so sad. Uh, I mean, but like, look at Spider Punk. You can't. I mean, you got to recognize Game. Like, he's cool. You know. Oh yeah, he's so cool. That's Daniel Kaluuya, by the way. Who I've just got to like give a little update and say that his miracle run is continuing. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, l- let me just drop this on you. So obviously, he's done some. You know, who's in Johnny English? Who's in Kickass Two? Whatever. This is everything he's been in since 2015 on. And this isn't going to take too long. This is everything he's done. Sicario, Get Out, Black Panther, Widows, Queen and Slim, Judas and the Black Messiah, for which he won the Oscar. Nope, Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, my God. I forgot he won the Oscar. Damn, that's a great run. Well, he won it in the COVID year, but that's uh... not to take anything away from him. Yeah, he's incredible. I feel like legit, like, maybe he's our best movie star. You know, he isn't taking the Showtime HBO check to go and and do, like, six episodes of uh, poorly fleshed out dark drama. He's delivering us eclectic performances in great movies consistently for the last eight years. Yeah. Yeah. I like the comparison of saying that, like, Jordan Pillow Scorsese, he's... Damn, I set this up really well for myself. What is his name? De Niro? Yeah, yeah. If that's, you know, that's his, they're the team. And I like that. I like that comparison. Mm. Oh, I can't wait to see what they cook up next. That's going to be fun stuff. Was it Christmas next year's when we're getting the next peel? Oh, yeah. What do you think about that, DeAndre? Oh, this, oh my God, this is full circle. Look at that. Um, I, I, I okay, so mm, I don't know what it's about. Because like, with it being Christmas and with yeah. it being Jordan Peel, it's so... I think there's like three possibilities. One, it's just a horror movie or thriller. 
Two, historical drama for Oscar shots. I don't think that Jordan Peele is the kind of guy that would pander for that, though. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's his jam. Mm-hmm. Three, I think there's a good chance it could just be, like, a fun animated thing like Wendell and Wild. Okay, that would be interesting. Yeah, but I don't know. I think Dark Christmas has not always worked on screen. And just with what he likes to do, I don't know. I, I'm, I want to know more. I, I want to know more. I don't, I don't know exactly what's going to be, though. I'm interested. Yeah, you're right that we know literally nothing. I'm looking at the official press release, and it just has the date. Yeah. You know, it's not, it doesn't say it's a horror. It doesn't even say it's live action. It's just Christmas Day, 2024. Oh, it's Christmas Day? We're not talking December 16th. We are talking December 25th, 2024. This thing is coming up. I think it could be a biblical epic. That's my thought. That's a very good. I mean,. Nope has sections that are kind of close to a biblical epic. Yeah. Also, the original Scream came out on Christmas Day. So there's a little bit of a horror Christmas precedent, but... We'll have to see what Jordan gives us. Mm-hmm. My MVP... There are a lot of... Ah, there are a lot of really good performances in this, but I think I've got to give it to my boy because how often can I? Oscar Isaac playing... Miguel O'Hara. It's a great performance. I mean, he is dialed in to sinister, tortured (laughs) superhero land. (laughs) And like having so much fun being despicable in specific ways. I think it's really easy for especially high profile celebrities to walk in and just phone it in. Mm -hmm. I feel like him and everyone here involved was treating this like it was high art, and it is, and I'm glad that they did. Oscar Isaacs was like, was it Isaac? Isaacs? Is there an S? Not the uh, one. Oh, sing- singular. Isaac. Oh, one Isaac. One Isaac. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like he like really was giving. Like he just really was trying in the vocal booth. You know, like it was really good. Let me see. Shout out. Okay, first I give a shout out to Karen Sony, who I loved in the Deadpool movies, a Spider Man India. His bit that just being Spider-Man is very easy was funny to me. I loved that. <laughs> Shout out to Jarell Jerome, who is the actor who plays Alt Miles, who we get at the very end. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, I, I was wondering if it was Shamik doing a different voice, and I was like, it's really different if it is. Mm. But it's Jarell Jerome. He's my choice for live action, Miles, if we ever get that. Okay. Because he's actually Afro-Latino, too. Like, I, I want that for him very badly. Yeah, I thought he did great. And even Justin, him just saying his name has really stuck with me. Like, the little bits you get of that character are so powerful, for sure. Let's give our final thoughts on this movie before we get to a little quiz here at the end. And I want to hear some updated rankings of where you would put this against the other Spider-Man movies. So... DeAndre, I'll start with you. Uh, where does this rank and any final thoughts on Across the Spider-Verse? It's definitely top three. My final thoughts are, I think that the second movie is always the hardest thing to make. Not just in a franchise, but also as a director, and especially as with this many directors involved. You know, I think it's a thing of like, like as they say with musicians, like the first 25 years, your album is the first like 25 years of your life. Right. You have like one year to put out your second album. Like, how do you find that? And granted, they had five years to work on this, which shows. 
And I think it's so impressive that they were able to really nail it in the second one. It makes me scared for the third one, but I think that they're going to pull it off. And if if they do it, I think this could go down as maybe the perfect superhero trilogy if they pull off that third one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for real. I mean, I was just really struck by how attached I was to these characters having only really seen them in the first movie, right? Yeah. Like, if they feel like such a big deal in this one. Emmett, final thoughts and updated ranking? I just want to say our two lead performances are incredible in this. I like talking about vocal performances. Yeah. Just amazing. I really love the moment where they're sitting upside down, looking out at the view of the city. Mm-hmm. And just talking in this like quiet moment in the middle of all of this wild chaos. I think that's like part of why we get so invested in them and they're like their that specific character relationship. They're not doing like I don't know, it feels like they're not doing a dumb teen movie thing of like, oh look, I'm embarrassing myself in front of her, like I'm doing this like or doing that, yeah. but like it or like them like playing games with each other or anything. They're just like both like deeply <laughs> deeply messed up from this horrible responsibility <laughs> they have on them and like trying to handle that and i think it's really beautiful i think it's really sweet that's that's just a moment that stuck with me from it and it's about their romance which like we so mm-hmm. rarely get romance in these movies anymore yeah i was so compelled by that yeah yeah and um i would say this is up there with the other Spider-Verse movie at the top of the Spider-Man pack. Mm. There's too many of them to get into where all the rest of them fall after that. I don't really have any new thoughts on it, but this definitely just like is up here at the top of the pack with the other one. Do either of you think this is better than the first one? I know we've we've seen this once and we've seen the first one for five years, but... Well, I think it comes from better because better budget, better because better time. Mm-hmm. I think they're both equally good. I think the second one's better just because we're given a longer runtime. We're given more budget. We're given a lot more to watch. Well, actually, no, I'll say this. Better in animation because there's moments where we just kind of stop and look at what should be a portrait hung in the gallery. Like the moment where they're hanging upside down and they like do that big zoom out. And they're like, they're literally in the bottom corner. We're getting this beautiful portrait of New York. I'm like, Pause the movie. I don't need, I don't, stop talking. This is like, this is art. Yeah. I think in terms of that evolution of animation, better. Yeah, for sure. I love a second movie. I think it is, I think it is better. I think Mm -hmm. it is. That's my just off the rip, you know, kind of reaction to having just seen it just a few hours ago. But it does, it also just makes me really want to rewatch the first one as well. How about you? What do you think, Wade? Do you think it's, it's better or it's? You know, it's funny, I did rewatch the first one before this, and at the beginning of it, I was kind of like, oh, maybe this is a little aged. Like, maybe the animation mm. is not as good as I remember. And then 15 minutes in, he gets bit by the spider, and the animation totally transforms. And I had forgotten that they pulled that trick, where it looks like every other movie, basically, until he gets bit, and then they start doing all, like, the frame rate and the like textured animation stuff. So that was really cool to rediscover. I certainly think the animation looks way better. I don't know. I think I might like it a little more, but I do think the first one stands alone as a complete thought so well. And I'm 
eager to see the the next part of this. You know, I would probably rank this after one viewing third behind Homecoming and the original Into the Spider Verse on my mm. Spider Man ranking. I think it would sit there pretty comfortably. And the only other change I would have is that I think I would move 1977 up a little bit because genuinely I've thought about it for the last year since we saw it. That's so good. <laughs> I have really not stopped. Have you ever seen the 90 minute straight uh, TV 1977 live action Spider-Man movie, DeAndre? Well, now I have something to do next weekend. <laughs> oh, no, I have not. I What? It's incredible. It's really funky. I mean, you've got to set your expectations to nothing is going to happen. Like, you've got to know that going in. (laughs) There's one action scene in the movie. It's an hour in. It's not the finale of the movie. Um, It is wild and worth it, though. He's fighting a lifestyle guru who's making people commit suicide. Um, (laughs) He's also, like, a grad student who's, like, 30 years old, and they're just, like, doing that. Which I think is kind of cool, but, you know. So, like, it's, it's not even, like, comic book villains. It's just, like, grifters and scam artists. There are no comic book characters other than AMA and J. Jonah Jameson in the movie. All the other ones are original characters. <laughs> oh, I I love that. Where do I find this? <laughs> you, can, you can watch it on YouTube. It's oh. hilarious because it takes place in the part of Queens that looks exactly like L.A. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For a split second, I was like, "Oh my gosh, what part of Queens is it?" DeAndre, that's that's a joke. That's they filmed it in LA, and it's and lives in a sprawling LA mansion in the back of Queens, <laughs> somewhere in Queens. Her attic is a warehouse that Spider Man walks through and contemplates does, does science in. <laughs> Oh. oh my god, the freaking best part of that movie is that there's this whole subplot that he needs to get like $26 to pick up his package. <laughs> I swear to god, the package is not important. He picks it up eventually and it does not relate to the plot. He's like, oh, glad I checked that off my to-do list. <laughs> Every character in the movie, he's like, and by the way, could I borrow a couple bucks to pick up my package? That is not 70s, like, storytelling like b plot that has nothing to do with anything <laughs> oh, oh god i because i didn't get a chance to watch all of you guys' spider-man coverage what is y'all's opinion on the third tom holland one um i think we're both pretty hot on it i liked it and i feel like parts of it have actually lived with me more than i expected them to mm. Yes, I'm guessing that's not your opinion. But that well, was we talk about like you know, if they land the third one, this could be like the de facto trilogy. And like, I love Tom Holland and I love John Watts. My personal opinion is that like I want to see the draft that John Watts had before Toby and Andrew agreed to come. Hmm. I want to see the movie they had before we started all this like corporate synergy multiverse stuff like what was your tom holland story before we had to jam into sinister sticks yeah i'm I'm curious to see what that is but like still i don't know i do you think that if they land a third one that's a better trilogy than the tom holland trilogy yes my thing with the tom holland trilogy is it does not always feel like a cohesive trilogy each individual movie i i generally enjoy but it doesn't necessarily make it feel 
in the same way. I, I guess it makes sense because he's also in all of the other, like he's having character mm. development outside of the, the main arc. So I don't know. He dies and comes back to life off screen. So that's kind of intense. And I, I guess the third one to me was very exciting both times that I watched it. But I do agree that if this third one comes out, there will be no, there'll be no question. Like if it comes out and is like even remotely as good as the first two, mm-hmm. there'll be no question as to, you know, the Shining trilogy and the Spider-Man multi-series. Well, if I can uh, yeah, speak to all that for a second, something that this movie really made me think of is how like No Way Home is so much darker than the other mm-hmm. Holland movies, right? Like Aunt May has to die. It's got this really serious tone. And I think some of that is in response to like all of the Raimi fans who are always complaining about how Tom Holland like <laughs> has funny movies and like gets his suit from Sony Stark, Tony Stark. And like they didn't feel that he was tragic enough as Tobey Maguire is. That's kind of what this movie is about, right? Mm-hmm. Like this movie is about people who are like, Spider-Man has to be this one thing. And that one thing is this like platonic example of Peter Parker we have. And Miles, who is like the first Spider-Man who is very different from Peter Parker is like, no, my my story can be my own. Like it actually doesn't have to be a retread of the exact same themes we've seen in 10 other movies, you know? Yeah. And then tying into that first battle, where we're talking about what is art and it's like, well, we're talking about it and like how that kind of sets up that thing later down the road. I am one of the Raimi fans that was talked the entire time. <laughs> I remember it was like, I was like one of my coworkers, like, I think that Tom Holland's going to beat the Green Goblin and said, no, you're dumb. Toby fought killers. The Green Goblin wanted the spider dead. I knew the moment that Timothy Holland walked up to my boy, Willem Dafoe, it was a wrap. It was not going to end well for him. Now, he put up a good fight. Don't get me wrong. He hit the little combo. He put him through the walls. But when William (laughs) smiled when he punched him, you weren't defeating him. You weren't beat. They only beat him because they just took away his powers. If they didn't have that serum, everyone's dead. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> That's fair enough. That moment is so good in, in that movie with Defoe. That's when it elevated to art for me. Like, that's when we went from this is MCU, like, no, this is art. Mm-hmm. I still think that Willem Defoe should have been nominated for Green Goblin back in the early 2000s. But Okay, so the, the point watching the first Into the Spider-Verse when I knew it was in for a good time is when they flashed that comics code authority logo mm. at the beginning. And this is like an old school comics thing. It's sort of, it was the equivalent for comics, basically what the Hayes code was for movies where like there was this group who oversaw standards of what you could put in a comic or not. And comics that were basically like approved as being safe for kids would have this little logo up approved by the comics code authority. And the first movie starts with that logo. And this one does too, but it's much more ominous. Like there's sort of this creepy score building through the production logos. And then it the beat like drops and it goes to that logo. And then the movie starts. And I feel like that is also tied into this whole idea of like the spider society mm. overseeing the canon events and like who can and cannot be Spider-Man. And Miles mm. pushing against it, you know, like isn't that isn't the Comics Code Authority the same thing as Miguel Spider Society kind of? 
And isn't that like a deeper comp? That's mm, see that that was the mic drop of the podcast. <laughs> that see because that's like a deeper commentary of like just the whole relation of reboot characters, like people taking the mantle, like who gets to decide who is. I, I think that's really interesting. I didn't think about it like that. That is super cool. We had a very interesting moment in our theater where um, the screen would black out every two seconds. <laughs> so it would be like, dun, dun. no, the sound's still good, but it's just back and forth. I was like, oh my God, they are taking a bold creative risk with this one. <laughs> I'm surprised there was no seizure warning. Like it's going in and out. Like, oh, we're already in the multiverse. And then someone yelled, turn it off and start it again. I was like, <laughs> oh, this isn't a choice. Okay, this is broken. This is not. <laughs> See, you know you're a theater person when you fall for a gimmick within five seconds. You're just like, oh, this is not <laughs> yeah. part, of, part of the thing. Oh. <laughs> you're like, I'm in on it. Okay, cool. <laughs> oh, man. Um, final thought, shout out to Lego Spider-Man. <laughs> that got me so good. I was really hoping that he would be like the final boss. Like he's the guy pulling the strings. <laughs> okay, now it is time for our favorite part of each and every episode Bums the Word, our quiz game today, inspired by this movie coming out five years after the original. I have here 10 sequels that came out a long time after the original movie. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And let me be clear here. These are number twos. So this is not Star Wars 7 coming 10 years after Star Wars 3. This is number two sequel to an original film that is dropping... 10 years or more after the original. Here we go. The first film in our quiz game was released in the year 2022. Last summer, it was released 36 years after the original film that it is a sequel to. It features the the lead actor of the original movie from 1986 returning. This is sort of an action film, drama film. Oh, Tom the Maverick. That is correct. That is a correct and a point for DeAndre for Top Gun Maverick uh, coming 36 years after Top Gun. Okay, uh, film number two. This is a horror movie. It's one that I've always heard is like secretly good, although you would not expect it to be. It was released in 1983, 23 years after the original film, which came out in 1960. It also has, I believe, the, the main actor from the original coming back, although... The director and the other supporting characters are completely different in this one. Is there a sequel to Psycho? There is. It is called Psycho 2. And that is another point for DeAndre. Oh my gosh, that was a pure down. That was a pure (laughs) No kidding. Psycho 2. Crazy. Uh, Starring Anthony Perkins. And I've heard that it's good. Wow. Uh, Okay, film number three in our quiz. This was a comedy sequel. It was released in 2016, 15 years after the original. What to say? The first one was like a goofy comedy made with a a thousands, early thousands comedy star when he was up and coming. And then this was sort of him returning to a beloved classic to try and make a sequel, I guess. Zoolander number two. That is correct. Unbelievable. Is there a Zoolander number two? It's bad. It's it's acceptable. <laughs> <bad. laughs> I believe you. <laughs> it sounds it sounds bad. 
Yes, it is directed by Ben Stiller himself, too. So. Oh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Why would you do it, Ben? Why would you do it? He's not a bad director, either. Uh. Okay, film number four was released in 2010. This is a sci-fi movie that is a sequel to a 1982 film. This is going to be Blade Runner 2049. That is incorrect, but... What? Blade Runner 2049 is later in this list, so I will give you a point, Emmett. No, this is a sequel to an 80s sci-fi movie that was very inspired by Blade Runner, I would guess, but is not Blade Runner. This So this movie came out in 2010. It's sort of, I would say, one of the first legacy sequels, one of the first 80 nostalgia movies. It came out a little too early to ride the bandwagon, but um, it's known for this movie, the 2010 movie. It's known for an early example of a de-aged character and is also maybe better known for its soundtrack than for the movie itself. Oh, God. <laughs> I want to say Fury Road, but I don't think that's right. Uh, no, not Fury Road. I'll say this film was also directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who did Top Gun Maverick. Um, I will also say both of these movies are the rare, like, PG sci-fi movies. Is it Transformers? No. It's not it's Transformers. Transformers. It's not Transformers. Is it Tron Legacy? It is oh, Tron Legacy. <laughs> there we go. D.H. Jeff Bridges, right? Yes, yes, yes. I've never seen it. Um, I saw it there. It was pretty good. I haven't watched it since. It's got that Daft Punk score. That's what people like. Oh, yeah. Well done. Uh, it's three points DeAndre to two points Emmett right now with five films still on the board. The next film. This is a 1998 comedy. It was released 30 years after the original film, which came out in 1968. Uh, it's sort of a, a buddy comedy movie, and it has the original actors 30 years later coming back and reprising their roles. It is a sequel to a movie, but there were TV shows, there were plays, I believe there were musicals. This is a big franchise concept that this film is following up on. Of a buddy movie? Yes, of a buddy comedy. I want to say Starsky and Hutch, but I don't think that's right. Think older and think even more basic. And not in a rude way, like literally the most basic premise for a buddy comedy is what this is. Um, It's not cops. I don't want to confuse with the phrase. It's not a buddy cop. This is just uh, uh, two guys grinding each other's gears. The odd couple? This movie is The Odd Couple 2. Oh. No way. No way. I never even knew it. I did not know the movie existed of that. That's good. I can't believe that this such a simple concept has lasted for so long. I feel like it's just because people people are just getting on each other's nerves all the time. (laughs) It's like, it's just constantly relatable. It's like, yeah, that happens to me too, man. (laughs) Okay. This next one, film number six, I believe this is the longest gap between sequels, 37 years. Uh, This movie came out in 2003. It's an animated film. And is the sequel to an animated film from 1967. 
This movie is maybe one you would think it was direct-to-video, but it was indeed released theatrically. Is it Fantasia 2000? It's not Fantasia 2000. Oh, damn. Although that is a movie that Across the Spider-Verse kind of reminded me of at points. The Rhapsody in Blue. Is this The Jungle Book 2? This is The Jungle oh, Book 2. Wait, Jungle Book 2 went to theaters? It did. <laughs> At 70 minutes long with credits, the Jungle Book 2 went to theaters. What year did this come out? Oh, three. Did I see that as a child? Didn't it have, like, it had, like, a little girl who Mowgli falls in love with? Yeah, there's, like, a lot of business with the human village, and there's a girl from the human village who Mowgli likes. Hmm. Yeah, that's all there. I remember the romance element stuck strong with me and absolutely nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, film number seven on this list was Blade Runner 2049, which Emmett already guessed in advance as though some sort of android who could predict the future. Or a precog. (laughs) 35 years after the original, that film. Um, This next film, shortest gap, 10 years. We're talking 10 years after. Uh, This is an animated movie that was released in 2017, the sequel to an animated movie from 2007, sort of a sport-focused animated movie. The original is about one sport, and from the looks of it, this is about a different sport. (laughs) It's animated? The The tagline on the poster for this movie is starring your favorite WWE superstars. (laughs) And the first movie has nothing to do with that. (laughs) It's about a different sport. And I don't want sport to be misleading, but a different physical activity. When was 07 to what? 17. This came out in 2017. Is this this Happy Feet and Happy Feet 2 Smackdown versus Raw? (laughs) Emmett, I cannot tell you how close you are. I cannot possibly <laughs> convey to you how close you are. Is that in the Scooby-Doo franchise? It's not a Scooby-Doo movie. Okay. That's a good guess. It's not Scooby-Doo. Oh, God. What is that? And I'm wondering if you know that this movie exists because I feel that it would have a profound impact on you if you did. It's breaking my brain trying to figure out what it is. Oh, God. It was a sport. It's not Airbud because it's animated. It's not an Airbud movie. Uh-huh. This was theatrically released. Um, would you believe it? This movie is straight to DVD. <laughs> <laughs> In 2017, <laughs> when nobody had a DVD player anymore. What? <laughs> Oh my god. Um, this was, in fact, the last Sony Pictures animation film to be released direct to DVD. Uh, it stars Jeremy Shada and Melissa Strum, replacing Shia LaBeouf and Zoe Deschanel, who started the original movie. It also stars John Cena, The Undertaker, Triple H, <laughs> Paige, and Vince McMahon. <laughs> you can't say those words to me. My brain's actually boiling. Like, I don't... <laughs> okay. This movie... I mean, buckle up. This movie is Surf's Up 2 Wave. (laughs) I never in a million years would I have guessed that. Never in a million years. 
What? Wait, wait, wait. Movie, How did they change the sport? It surfs up. This movie is called Surfs Up 2 Wave Mania. Unbelievable. Wait, wait, wait. So is Vince McMahon body slamming a penguin? What's going on? They're all penguins. Everyone in this film is a penguin. <laughs> Does the penguin wear a little penguin? Except for Chicken Joe. Um, yeah, there is a chicken on this DVD cover. You are correct. Every time we do a little penguin Vince McMahon, because I kind of want to see that now. <laughs> I cannot believe it. I cannot this believe it. the last thing that Sony Pictures Animation released? <laughs> this is the thing. We got one more shot to save it all, boys. I'm sorry, can you imagine? You're the head of Sony Pictures Animation. And you're like, oh my gosh, guys, the WWE Penguin movie failed. What should we do next? Um, we can make a black Spider-Man. I don't know. That's kind of risky, guys. This, the, the, the penguin bodybuilding movie didn't work. <laughs> oh, my God. Good God. That, that, that took me into multiverse. I'm just stunned that that exists. All right. We've got two movies left in this quiz. And right now, DeAndre is up by one. So it is still anyone's game. This next movie was released in 1990, 16 years after the original. To be completely honest, I would be amazed if either of you had ever heard of this movie. It's got a bad title, but it is the sequel to a 1974 crime classic, a Stone Cold classic. And this is the sequel. 74, and what's the... Na- 1990 is when this movie comes out. Uh, this movie is directed by, and indeed stars, Jack Nicholson. Oh, who is also the lead of the 74 movie, but he did not direct. Um, that one was directed by someone, Roman Polanski. Not sure who that is, and let's not discuss it anymore. This next one was directed by Jack Nicholson. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Is this a sequel to The Big Chill? No, it is not. I don't even know what The Big Chill is. I just felt that that was right. Is this... Chinatown 2? This movie is Chinatown 2. It is not called that. And unfortunately, in this case, I will not I will not accept that. So if anyone has any guess at the actual title, um, it's not Chinatown Legacy. The word Chinatown does not appear in the title. Oh, wait. It's like something weird as hell that has nothing to do with it. It's a weird title. Chinatown 2, 2 China, 2 Town? Is it like an arty sort of title? A Fiona Apple-esque like it's not long movie title it's not long the title is a reference to the fact that the protagonist and the antagonist in this movie share the same name double identity no that's not right that can't be true i'll put us out of our misery this film is called the two jakes <clears throat> what that's a terrible name for that could have been a movie about my high school that's ridiculous <laughs> that's so dumb <laughs> Yeah, I mean, imagine if you're making a sequel to Chinatown and you've got Jack Nicholson directing it and you call it The Two Jakes. And you're not going to call it Chinatown 2, The Two Jakes, even? (laughs) Yeah. Chinatown 2 Jakes. Yeah, hey. Chinatown 2 Jakes. Okay, the final (laughs) film on this list was released 31 years after the original. It was released in 1994. It is a horror film. It is a sequel to a horror film from 1963. Is it Night of the Living Dead? 
Return of the Living Dead? Um, it is not. What to say about this? The the original is genuinely still a very haunting film. Not a bloody film, but um, one I had to watch in high school English class that really stuck with me. The sequel has a subtitle, which is... <laughs> the subtitle is a popular clothing brand. And I think that's just a coincidence. Uh, no, that's not a very um, helpful hint. This is this is sort of a uh, humans versus nature sort of horror. Movie. Is it a sequel to The Birds? It is a sequel to The Birds. Whoa! It is called The Birds Two Colon Something. If anyone knows it, you will receive a point. Oh gosh! Um, tweet me. It is a clothing brand. <laughs> um, I think. Coincidentally, but that is what the subtitle is. Birds, birds to Forever 21, because <laughs> you got pecked to death by birds at the age of 21. <laughs> All I can think is birds to Aeropostle, and I just know that could not be right. <laughs> I would love that. Patagonia? No, that's wrong. Birds to Patagonia. You thought it was bad when they were doing this in Southern California. Just wait till you see the birds in Patagonia go after some people. Oh, it man. shows how little I go shopping. Because I'm like, what are clothing brands? What, what, what brands are there? This film from 1994. Uh, credited to Alan Smithy as director, which is, the, by the way, the credit that people use when they don't want to be credited. <laughs> Basically credited to Anonymous. Uh, this film is The Birds 2, Land's End. What is Land's End? Land's End is like a New England family hiking clothing company. <laughs> we had Land's End backpacks. That's good. Like dumb magazines that you immediately, or magazines with catalogs you immediately throw in the trash that you'd get in the mail. Like, so is the concept that like they're like on a boat and the birds come because Land's is- That'd be terrifying. Like, you're on a boat with a bunch of seagulls inside of you? Oh, man. That would be bad. That, that would be really scary. bad. Like, you couldn't run. That's happened to me on the ferry before, then they just poop all over your car. Um, it looks like it is about a family who moves to a remote, windswept, tiny East Coast island. Wow. And then get attacked by birds. No kidding. Wow, that's that hits a little too close to home. I will not be watching. <laughs> the original birds scared the bejesus out of me when I was oh a kid. God, I saw that too. dude when I saw that dude with the eyes pecked out, I thought I was gonna I thought I was going to literally die. I was so frightened of it. Yeah, that movie's terrifying. My grandma has this weird relationship with like Hitchcock and Spielberg where she watches the birds and just thinks it's hilarious. It also draws, I don't know if she likes seeing white people in peril. Like, I don't know what it is, but like, she just <laughs> genuinely, like, was like, I love this movie. And I'm just like, this is terrifying. <laughs> well, good job to both. That is a win for DeAndre with four points. Oh, wow. Hell yeah. And it bums the word. Great job all around. And thank you so much, DeAndre, for being here. I'm yes. excited to be here. We love having you on. Uh, any projects you'd like to mention while you're here or anywhere yeah. that people can find your work? So you can find me on Instagram at weaver.deandre. Um, I'm currently producing a short film called Leave It at My Door. It's a delivery driver that gets roped into a pyramid scheme and has to earn back all his money in one day. 
Um, you can check out the link on my page, and there's also some more information at Film Bros on Instagram. There's going to be a lot of great content going, coming out this year, and hope you guys get to check it out. Hell yeah, that's awesome. We will link to that in our podcast description, too. Great. Well, we are switching. I'm going to mention this briefly, a little programming note at the end. Uh, switching from being a weekly podcast to being a podcast that doesn't release ever to now being a uh, three times a month podcast. So my goal is the 1st, the 11th, and the 21st. This episode should be coming out on June 11th. And on June 21st, we will be wrapping up our Baz series. And July 1st, starting The Muppets at long last, our Bumtober 2022 winner. Hell yes. Hell yes. We've recorded so much of The Muppets already. So we are like ahead, my guys. It's going to be it's going to be just like easy street from here on out for those of us who are recording it. Maybe not so much for those of us who are editing it. (laughs) Uh, Rest in peace to Wayne's free time. Uh, Yes. And for those keeping track at home, that does mean that our August 1st episode, episode that drops on the 1st of August, will be Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Yes. So something else to look forward to this summer. Um, Shout out to this being a good summer at the movies. Really excited about that. After last year, the movies gave us men, Jurassic World Dominion, Thor Love and Thunder. So happy to have a good summer. I liked Guardians. I loved this movie. Excited for Barbie. Uh, Excited for Mission Impossible. Excited for more good times and air conditioning in these brutal summer months. Look, man, I I really I really need to move somewhere closer to a movie theater. <laughs> uh, until next time, stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcast. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week 